Good evening. Back it off just a hair. Welcome to Wednesday evening chapel. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Glad to see you here. Uh, there are a couple of caveats that I need to take care of up front, and then I want uh, President Graves to uh, introduce the preacher this evening in the way that he did so this morning. Uh, first, last night I failed uh, to introduce Sue Fuller. Pastor Mark's wife. She also made the trip from Ohio, and so I want you to welcome her. Uh, second confession is this. When the U.S. Mint makes mistakes, those coins are worth money. When I make mistakes, I'm just embarrassed. <laughs> So the reason why you were given both the handout for this evening and the brochure is that this brochure is correct. And if anyone has a copy from last night, you can go home and, f and see just exactly where the mistakes are. Um, those of you who were last night and didn't tell me, shame on you, because I didn't find out until after chapel this morning. So anyway, so my bad, I take responsibility. President Graves, introduce our guest. Aren't we thankful for a chaplain that acknowledges his transgressions? <laughs> well, it's just really a, a joy to have my friend Mark Fuller in this T.W. Willingham uh, Preacher of the Year series. Um, I uh, first met Mark when he came to pastor on the West Texas District at Arlington East Park Church of the Nazarene. Uh, his father was my district superintendent and we shared him as a district superintendent and uh, quickly learned to love and appreciate Mark Fuller as a man of God and a preacher of the word uh, from Arlington the Lord led Mark to Phoenix Arizona where um, I think the, the church was called Dobson Ranch at that time and and John Williamson was the founding pastor who was, of course, chaplain here. And uh, God blessed that ministry just, a, just magnificently there in uh, now Crossroads Church of the Nazarene there in, I believe, Chandler area. And um, Mark pastored there for 18 years, felt like that this is where God had planted him. And then God, as only God can do, had another assignment for Mark. And uh, I had great interest having pastored in Ohio and watched Pastor Bob Huffaker, another great friend who pastored in West Texas at the same time that we were there, uh, was mightily used of God to build the Grove City Church of the Nazarene. And, and we watched that with great interest, uh, all of us who had a heart to see what God was going to do next there. And I must tell you that I was absolutely delighted when the Lord reached over into Phoenix area and asked Mark to come and, and, uh, and continue that great work there in the Grove City Church of the Nazarene. And so Mark has been there now uh, about a year and a half now, two years, about a year and a half. And, and uh, God is just blessing that ministry. And, and on, a, on their weekend services, they'll have anywhere between 3,500 and so in worship times together and and so it's just an honor for us to have him here tonight he's a great preacher and he's a great friend and you're going to enjoy his ministry to us so Mark it's great to have you here with us okay. 
Thank you, Alan. And thank you, President Graves, for that introduction. It's been great to be with you this week and looking forward to tomorrow night. We had a great time this morning. In fact, uh, uh, one of the reasons that I'm here, and I had to appreciate the opportunity this morning to share the vision for a brand new partnership. Some of you may not have heard about this between uh, Nazarene Bible College and Grove City Church of the Nazarene. We're hammering out uh, a one-year residency towards a bachelor's degree uh, for uh, selected uh, Nazarene Bible College students at the church. And uh, so we're pretty excited about this new paradigm. I think it's something that has come for such a time as this. And I'm very excited and grateful to, to partner with uh, this wonderful college community. And uh, I've always loved Nazarene Bible College. And I'm just excited about working with your president and your cabinet and maybe some of you students in the future. So we look forward to that. And we thank God that we can partner together. Amen? Amen. Some of you, I have not... Uh, it's new faces here. So some of you, I guess, who wasn't able to be here last night? You're here tonight for the first time. That's about, uh, about half of you. So let me kind of briefly kind of go review what we're, what we're doing here on the evenings. Uh, I'm, we're looking at leadership lessons from Pastor Moses. And last night we looked at uh, how Pastor Moses had a heart for God's people. Even when God gave him an incredible offer to uh, wipe these rebellious people out, and he could start with him. Moses said, no, God, I, I stand or fall with these your people. That's the heart of a shepherd. We learn from that how important it is not to be a hireling in the kingdom of God, but God is looking for shepherds. Tonight I want to just spend a few minutes looking at the pastor and the ministry, his or her ministry. That's a broad topic. And in fact, in your handout, I, I really didn't put anything in there, but I'm kind of assuming, maybe I, I shouldn't assume this, that, that the ministry, when you're doing ministry, you all know this, you've got to have a sense of God's call on your life. There's a lot of reasons people get into ministry, but there's only one that will sustain you through the long haul. In fact, you know, uh, I think the statistics I've heard, uh, the average career tenure pastoral ministry is about 10 years, which is really a tragedy. Uh, that's not just at one church. That's total career. That tells me there's a lot of folks out there doing ministry for other reasons than the call of God. I remember when I was growing up, I was born and raised in a Nazarene parsonage, and, and I, you know, I, I remembered as a as a teenager, sensing the stirrings of God's call on my life. And my father uh, uh, was a district superintendent at that time. And he, at the time, he had his office in his house. And so I, I, I just made an appointment with my dad, <laughs> walked into his office and uh, said, Dad, I, I want to share what God's doing in my life with you. And, you know, every son wants to please his dad. I think there was some of that going on. I want to make dad, dad be so proud of me, you know, following his footsteps. And I sat and I said, Dad, I just, I really feel in my spirit that God is, is calling me into, into full-time ministry. And he just looked at me, didn't say a word. He said, Son, when he calls me son like that, I know something's coming. <laughs> he said, Son, if you can do anything else, and be in the Lord's will, do it. 
Wow, that got me right down to terra firma real quick. Got me thinking through what is all this about after all. But God did affirm his call in my life. And I know he's doing that in your lives. And I, I, so I want to just establish that right from the beginning. You've got to start with the call of God. Everything flows. It did in Moses' life. It may not happen as dramatic in your life as it did with him with a burning bush. It will be no less significant, no less more important as a benchmark you can always look back to and say, God, I'm in this thing, not because I wanted to get in for the money. That's a good reason to get into ministry, huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Or, you know, whatever reason. But I'm in this because you called me. So uh, let's look at the pastor and, and the ministry. And, and look in the life of Moses, and I want you to turn to Exodus 18. I'm, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. You follow along, whatever translation you have. I want to start, as, as, as this chapter kind of talks about, the importance of an encouraging mentor for ministry. After God's called you, it's important to find the right mentors in your life. The people that will encourage you and help you along that path. Moses had one of those. His name was Jethro. Uh, the Bible tells us about that. In verse 6 of chapter 18, the Bible says, Moses was told, Jethro, your father-in-law has come to visit you. Your wife, your two sons are with him. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed to him respectfully. He greeted him warmly. They asked about each other's health and then went to Moses' tent to talk further. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to rescue Israel from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He also told him about the problems they had faced along the way and how the Lord had delivered his people from all their troubles. Let's kind of unpack this a little bit here. The first thing I see in, in this mentor that God had brought to Moses, well, first of all, he was his father-in-law. He was a person worthy of trust. He was a close family member. That doesn't always mean that's a person who's worthy of your trust, but my father-in-law certainly was. Uh, I had the not only unique privilege of being raised in a Nazarene parsonage, but my wife Sue is a Nazarene PK as well. And uh, her father, in fact for many years early on in our ministry, we were a lot closer to her folks than mine, and, and he became a real confidant and mentor to me. Uh, just the consummate Christian gentleman, godly man, great preacher, incredible pastor. And I gleaned so much wisdom from him. In fact, there are probably four men that have, that have been my mentors, men worthy of my trust. My father-in-law being one, uh, my father being another, and uh, my first pastor that I worked on a staff position. Dr. Paul Cunningham was now one of our general superintendents. I had the privilege of serving with him at Lathe College Church. And then finally, my, my district superintendent for 13 years was, was uh, Jim Russums and, and my DS, Bill Birch. I was, he was my district superintendent for 13 of the years I was there at, uh, at uh, Crossroads. These were men who just, I mean, they, I knew they, they loved me. They believed in me. They didn't tell me what I wanted to hear. Right? That's not a good mentor. They told me what I really needed to hear. They were men worthy of that trust. And I see here that Moses bowed to him respectfully and greeted him warmly. Well, this is a, this is a mentor for 
a mentor who commands respect, but also engenders affect, affection. Uh, he also told, Moses told him everything, the good and the bad, the victories and the defeats. A mentor is one who will listen and empathize with you. Someone with whom you can be completely transparent. Now I want to tell you, what these may be apply to you as a mentor. Maybe some of you here need to be in a mentoring relationship. Others of you, these are good guidelines in looking and praying about a mentor to seek out. I remember in my own life when I transitioned from having mentors to being one of those. That was a really interesting transition for me. I remember I uh, hired a, a music pastor uh, who was 21. And it, it just, you know, it kind of was an aha moment to me when I realized he was, I was old enough to be his father. Okay? <laughs> and uh, that, that puts in a little different, different perspective for you. Uh, some of you understand that very well. Others of you will learn that in due time. But whether you are looking for a mentor or you are in a mentoring relationship, these are good principles here to us to look at. A person worthy of trust. Secondly, I see a person of godly character in a, in a great mentor. Verses 9 through 12. Jethro was delighted when he heard about all that the Lord had done for Israel as he brought them out of Egypt. Verse 9. Praise be to the Lord, Jethro said. For he saved you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. He's rescued Israel from the power of Egypt. I know now that the Lord is greater than all other gods because his people have escaped from the proud and cruel Egyptians. And then Jethro presented a burnt offering, gave sacrifices to God. As Jethro was doing this, Aaron and the leaders of the Israel came out to meet him. They all joined him in a sacrificial meal in God's presence. Jethro was a man of godly character. First of all, I see, he said, praise to the Lord. He, as a, a good mentor is one who models this positive attitude of praise to God. You know, that, that, that reminds you that ministry is not a drudgery. It's a joy. I was talking to your president, who's also been raised in the Parsons, and, and I was saying, you know, what an what amazing thing, legacy that, that, is, that you're, you're following in your father's footsteps and your, your brother David and all of, you, all of your siblings are. And, and then now your kids and their kids. And, and uh, I, I said, what was the key to, to raising such a, a family that, that loved the church and still loves the church? And uh, your president piped right up. He said, man, my folks always made ministry fun. It was fun. We saw the, the joy. Now, where they're crummy stuff? Of course there's crummy stuff. We live in a crummy world, right? But this is God's work. And there should be joy related to doing God's work. He's a great God and praising Him and being around positive people. A positive mentor. Jethro gave a sacrifice to God. He gave sacrifices to God. A mentor is one who, who models a life of devotion themselves, not just seeing ministry as a vocation, not just going through the drill, but also one who really has a deep heart and passion for God, him or herself. So a mentor worthy of trust, a, a mentor of godly character, and then a person of great wisdom. Look at verse 13. The next day Moses sat as usual to hear the people's complaints against each other. They were lined in front of him from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, Why are you trying to do all this alone? <laughs> what a great question. What great wisdom. He pointed out Moses' blind spot. Moses had a big blind spot. Hey, you know your blind spot? You, you may or may not. That's where a good mentor can come and help you. 
You can point out the real problems. You can see it from an objective perspective. And, and he doesn't just off show you the problems. There's, there's a lot of people that can show you your blind spots and, and point out your weaknesses. I want to show somebody, somebody that can give me a solution, okay? Don't just show me the problem. Give me, a, give me an answer. That's a real friend. That's a real mentor. And so what he does for Moses, and he does for us, I think, is give us a proper perspective of the ministry. First of all, it's not your ministry. It's not my ministry. It's the Lord's ministry. Listen to, what, listen to what he says. Moses replied, well, the people come to me. They seek God's guidance. And when an argument arises, I'm the one who settles a case. I inform the people, yada, yada, yada. It's verse 17. This is not good. You're going to wear yourself out. And the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. It's not your ministry. You know, notice the time in, in verse, uh, uh, verse 16. The number of times you see the word I or me. You see that? I am the one who settles the case. I inform the people. You know, they seek me for guidance. It's all about me. It's my ministry. Moses didn't realize it. But he had a wrong perspective on the ministry. I remember when I, shortly after I came to, uh, to Dobson Ranch Church, which became Crossroads after we relocated. I'd been there one year. And... Uh, I was really trying to make my place on the district and, and, you know, prove to everyone there that I was a good pastor and I was a good leader. And uh, I remember uh, our district uh, inviting Tom Wilson. Some of you know Pastor Tom Wilson. He went to be with the Lord this last uh, year. Uh, but he came from Salem, Oregon, one of our great pulpits at that time, uh, to come plant, left that great church and came to the Phoenix area to plant a church. Well, that was met, made news all over the church. And, and so the design was to, to plant a church about on the other side of the freeway, about you no know, 10 miles from where the church I was pastoring was. Well, as it turned out, he ended up finding a place to, to worship about three miles from where, uh, you know, I was. And so that's no big deal. There's plenty of people out there. Don't get territorial about this thing, but I hadn't learned that yet. I thought, this guy's, this big shot's coming in, horning on my territory. To make matters worse, the DS called a gathering of people together uh, to kind of help encourage Tom and Elizabeth. And, uh, and so he recruited most of the leaders from the church I was pastoring to be a part of that meeting, okay? And that, that was even hosted at one of our key leading layman's homes. And I was there. I'm a team player, right? Hey, I'm there. Yeah. It's the last place I wanted to be, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. And so Tom shared the vision, and it was, you know, wonderful. And, and, uh, and then Dr. Bill Birch, he said, uh, I'm going to ask us to just gather around Tom and Elizabeth. And so you can picture the scene. There's 50 or 60 people gathering around Tom and Elizabeth. They have their hands laid on, him and, and on them, ready to pray. And, and he says, these words that just still haunt me when I think about it. He says, I'm going to ask the pastor of our Dobson Ranch Church, Mark Fuller, to lead us in prayer. Yeah, you, you're with me. You've been there, huh? So what do you do in that moment? Do you pray some mealy-mouthed prayer you don't really mean? <laughs> or, or, you know, if I, but then if I confessed what I was really feeling, I think, you know, it's, it's not about me, it's about them. So I was in a quandary. But I've learned over the years, and maybe this is one of the most important things that I will share with you, I've learned to trust my heart. If God is saying something in my heart, just go for it. And uh, picture the scene, everybody's got their head bowed, they're waiting, you know. And I said, folks, I, I need to confess something before I pray. Uh, I'm having a hard time here tonight. 
and I'm, not, I'm embarrassed by that. I don't want to feel that way because I know God is in this and I want to support this and I need to ask you to forgive me because I'm a bit self-centered and, and insecure on this. So after I confess that, I mean, boom. God just helped me to pray. He moved in. And we came alongside Tom and Elizabeth. It was a wonderful partnership. But I thought, you know, that was a valuable lesson God taught me in that moment. It's not about me. It's not my ministry. It's about his kingdom. And we got to die out. If Paul has to die out every day, I've got to die out every moment. <laughs> okay? But that's where we are. And Jezreel pointed out, Moses, it's not about you. You've got to get your focus right. It's too heavy for you alone. You know, I think many pastors burn out. You know, this 10-year average. Wow, that, that, that's, that's, that's been disturbing to me. I've been trying to process that, Harold, what that means. I think pastors, and I think Christians, many times burn out not because they're doing too much. I think if we burn out, it's because we're not doing what God has called us to do. We're getting all spread out doing these 100 things I dabble in rather than this one thing I do. And Jethro helped Moses get priority and perspective for the ministry. It's an awesome task. He gave him a strategic focus for ministry. I love this. Now in verses 19 through 21, look, look at how this unfolds here. First of all, just how, maybe some of you need to reassess your role, the call of God in your life. Right here, out of this passage, right from God's Word, are some real priorities for every pastoral call of God. First of all, he is to be... Well, let's just read them together. Verse 19. Now let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing Him their questions to be decided. In other words, you should be my vision caster. Casting vision. Who Moses was, he was the one who represented God to the people. He helped them understand what God's will was and what their, what their vision for their life was. So uh, casting vision, I see that emerging out of that counsel there. Verse 20, you should tell them God's decisions, teach them God's laws and instructions, and show them how to conduct their lives. That's the preaching ministry, obviously. That's, then, then find some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. That is choosing wise leaders around you, surrounding yourself with strong, capable, secure leaders. Casting vision, preaching the word, and pouring your life in key strategic people. Those are three priorities there that just jump off the page to me. I think they did to Moses as well. Developing God's strategy for ministry. Developing godly leaders. Now I'll come back to that in just a minute, how God framed this in my own life. But I see too, there's a the key of developing God's strategy for ministry. Look at verse 21. He says, Find some of these honest men, appoint them as judges over groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. These men can serve the people, resolving all the ordinary cases. Anything that's too important or too complicated can be brought to you, but they take care of the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. What that said to me when I was reading that in the context of, of developing a strategy for ministry is, is that it's important to make sure strategically we are engaged in what God wants us to be engaged in. Not just personally, 
but as a church. You know, for example, some of you are already serving in a, in a local church situation. Some of you will. The most important question I think you could ever ask moving into that assignment is, what is God's vision for this church? What is God's plan and purpose for this ministry? What does He want to accomplish there? See, only He determines the purpose. I don't determine that. You don't. It's His church. And the more you understand and can engage and articulate what His plan and purpose is, the better you're going to be, the more anointing you're going to find in ministry. For example, the Church of the Nazarene. Now, you know, there are many churches, all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. God has planted the Church of the Nazarene. We're approaching our century. We're, as far as churches go, we're young as a denomination. But why did God plant the Church of the Nazarene? Can you tell me? What, what makes us different than the Baptists or the Assemblies of God or the Presbyterians or Lutherans? Why did God plant the Nazarene Church? That's right. I'm glad you know that. If you didn't know that, you're in the wrong place. Okay? But see, I think a lot of times, and I, I look, I've grown up in the church, and I see us a lot of times we, we jump on this bandwagon. We say, oh, that worked over there. Let's, let's do that. You know? For a long time, it was bus ministry, you know? Nothing wrong with bus ministry, but just it became the thing we did. And then, and then it was, uh, you know, I don't, any, any number, you name it, we, we've tried it. <laughs> church growth, that's been a big one, you know? And what happens is, we need to get back to what our calling is as a church. See, God wants to bless the church of the Nazarene. He has raised up this church, and He's put Nazarene churches strategically across the land and around the world to, to communicate when He wants to bring a word of holiness to the body of Christ. He's going to raise up a holiness church like ours to be a herald for that, to speak that, to live that, to demonstrate that. And if we're just off doing some other little ditty program, we're going to miss what God has for us. Right. Right. I remember what happened at, at Crossroads when it, when it finally, an aha moment for me. <laughs> if, I, if I would, you know, you always wish you'd do, do things differently after, after you, you've been there a while. One thing I would have done different, and I'd started at Grove City this, this way. I didn't make the same mistake at Grove City. I started immediately teaching the staff, the board, the leadership on what biblical holiness is all about systematically bringing them all along and because that that was the single most important thing I think I ever did at Crossroads when I started just through our our spiritual growth path a 101 201 instead of uh, the 201 was what I did I 101 was on membership 201 was on maturity that's where I took time to talk people through uh, and I've got the material if some of you are interested you can access that on our website I'd be happy to make it available to you but basically systematically walking our whole congregation as they came through that membership process teaching them showing them uh, biblically what it means to live a spirit-led controlled life and uh, consistently I'd have two-thirds of the people in those classes testify to entire sanctification before they left that class it was amazing what God did and as the God was raising up the leadership we had leadership all on the same page everybody was when I said what are we here for we're here to demonstrate holiness. We're here to be a holiness lighthouse in the community. That's why God's put us here. And when God started seeing that we're interested in lining up with His purpose for the church, boy, His anointing started to flow. Doors started to open. 
We weren't trying to do our thing. God, come over here. Bless what we're trying to do here. No. This is what God has called us to do and to be. And boom, God started to work. I believe that God doesn't want to do that just in Crossroads or Grove City. I want, he wants to do that wherever we're committed to, to his strategy. <coughs> Developing God's strategy. And then working the strategy. You've got to work it. <laughs> uh, when I first came to Grove City, uh, I, uh, I, you know, if you've ever, have you been to Grove City? Anybody been to the church? Or, yes, a few of you have. It's an amazing place. I've been raised in the church all my life. I'm just so humbled and blessed to be a part of this great church. I love Crossroads. I thought it was the greatest church, and it is a great church. But Grove City is much like that. And it's just, there is such an infectious enthusiasm for God and for the lost, for reaching lost people. Uh, but when I got there, it's kind of, in, kind of intimidating. <laughs> it's a big place and, and you just kind of overwhelming. That's really what it is. And as I dug into it and began to lead and, and get to know the staff and the board, I began to, I saw Grove City Church of Nazarene as this, I talked about it this morning, uh, this afternoon at lunch, about, a, a, I used this in illustration of a picture of a 20 fingered hand here, okay? That looks kind of funny, but I've got five or picture 15 more fingers coming out there. They're all connected, but they're all going this way. And I realized, that, you know, if you're going to hit something, really impact something with your hand, you're not going to go like this, are you? How are you going to go? You're going to get all those fingers together, and you're going to go, bam, a lot more impacting. So I think a lot of times we need to be more strategic. We need to be more focused, laser-like. Churches that are really impacting their communities know why God put them there, and they stay on that just solid. They don't, they don't waver from that. I said, what is, let's, let's simplify our strategy here. What do we really want people to accomplish and to experience here? And we, we, we said, uh, oh, my time's going. I'll tell you what. Well, it's real simple. Celebrating God and connecting with, with, with one another. We celebrate big on the weekend. We connect small during the week. I could talk on more about that, but I, I better just leave it, leave it at that. A simple, clear strategy. That's what God's saying to Moses through Jethro. But let me come back before I go. Let me just share this one story, how God worked this in my life, this idea of casting vision and uh, of, of preaching and uh, of developing leaders. Uh, the church I was pastoring at Crossroads had kind of plateaued, and I was trying everything I could to get that thing going again. And uh, tried, I read books, I went to seminars, I just prayed, you know, everything I knew to do. But we just couldn't get, get it off the dime. And so John Maxwell was coming to town with his leadership and, uh, conference. And I thought, oh, John's really great on leadership. Maybe, maybe this will be it. And I got every, all of my key influencers at that seminar. Even got lunch with him that, that, that noon. And, and uh, I was so excited. I thought, this is going to get us over the hump. And so we're all sitting there around lunch, about uh, 15 from the church. And... and uh, I, everybody's asking their questions, and mine was the most important question, though. So I said, John, what's the key to growing the church off of this plateau here we're at? He didn't have, I thought he'd say, you know, developing the right staff, getting lay leadership, you know, getting all these. He didn't, has, he pointed his finger right in my face. He said, you are. Me? <laughs> you know, thanks a lot, John. And I feel self-conscious in that moment, 
give me a shovel to dig myself a hole. I felt terrible. Got everybody there and they're looking at me. It's all, it's all up to me. And uh, I went into a period of real self-doubt. I thought, you know, maybe I'm not the guy to do this. Anybody ever asked? You don't have to raise your hand. I know you've asked that question. I know you have. You've heard the Peter principle before, haven't you? A person is elevated to their level of incompetency. <laughs> and I thought, man, that's where I am. The very things I wanted to see happen were not happening because I was so insecure. I was so doubting. And I said, God, I, and my it only added to my frustration. I finally, in desperation, I said, God, I don't know how to grow this church. I don't have a clue. I, I, all I want to ask you is, how, what do you want to grow in me? What do you want to grow in me? And boy, it's like when I started asking that question, that's when the light started coming on. And it took a long time. God took me to this Exodus 18 passage right here. And he began to show me all the things I was trying to do to grow this church. I let go of almost all of them. In time. It took, took time. It took me about two years to get to the place. Right now, I, about 95% of what I do is those three things. But it took a long time to get to that point. There's a process to get there. What I'm saying is this. Assess what your call is. Focus on that. Don't let it fritter away to just nothingness and just dilly-dallying around with non-essentials. Stay focused. Preach the Word. Cast vision. Pour yourself in key leaders. And I think believe you, you've prioritized those three things. God will bless and bless that ministry and bless your calling on your life. Well, I've, I've taken too long. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to make you late for class. You're not too upset about that, are you? Everybody's excited except the professors. Okay. It's like when a pre preacher goes too long at church. Everybody's happy about it except the nursery workers. <laughs> Why don't you stand to your feet? Stand to your feet. You guys have listened so well. Tomorrow night I'm going to be talking about a pastor and the problems. Okay? Some of you may know about that. But they're there. And the right perspective on those. Probably the most significant message I think I'll share with you here. So if you can be here tomorrow night, I hope you will be. I think God will speak to you some very significant things. Hey, let's bow together. Jesus... Uh, I just pray, Lord, that you take my words and bring a living word to these men and women here tonight. Lord, you've called us. Wow, that just that blows us away that you would believe in us. And Lord, forgive us when we, uh, when we don't seek out mentors. We think we can do it all our own. Lord, I pray you bring into every God-called minister here in this room a mentor. Someone who will speak the truth in love. Who can be a guide and a confidant and a help. I thank you for the mentors you brought into my life, Lord. Every Paul needs a Timothy. Every Timothy needs a Paul. Match that up, God. I don't know how to do that, but would you do that? Maybe somebody here tonight, they're praying about that. They've not even thought about that. I pray, God, that they would make that a matter of intercession, that you would, in your time, connect them with that mentor. And Lord, a mentor that's here to connect with 
a Timothy here. Match them up, God. It's so important. And then keep us focused on your calling. Lord, we're so grateful that you've entrusted to us this incredible message of heart holiness. It's what this world desperately needs. Not a doctrine, not a creed, but a life to be lived out by the power of your spirit. Oh God, it's such a positive, engaging, winsome message. May we not go running off of this program and trying this little ditty over here, but stay focused on what you've called us to do. And then you can bring all the resources, all the anointing that we need. And we'll be quick to give you all the glory and all the praise. And all of God's called ministers said, Amen. 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 Encourage each other as you go. Have a great class. Hope to see you tomorrow night. You're dismissed. God bless you guys. Thank you.